Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. We're going to dive in, man. And uh, as we dive in, what about old Graham, man, reading scripture, the Irish, man. I, listen, I, I love that accent. I mean, man, uh, if I had that accent, it really wouldn't matter. I mean, Graham reads the scripture and you're just like, I want to get saved because of the accent, right? I mean, man, I, I just want to do something. And so, uh, man, I love that accent. We're, we're thankful for Graham and Bex and for what they, they mean to our church and, and uh, the friendship and everything that they do. And so uh, glad they're here today. So let's dive in. Man, we've been mining the book of Exodus for the last three summers. And I say mining because it is a gold mine. It is, it is a book that has huge chunks of gold all through it. If you have missed any, you can go online again or on our app and watch our Exodus sermons uh, because there is some stuff in there that is so, uh, I mean, helpful for in, in this book for your Christian understanding of what it means to be redeemed and why I'm redeemed and all those kind of things. I mean, obviously the book book, uh, Exodus, derives its name from Israel's exodus out of Egypt, right? They had been enslaved for 400 plus years. God took the initiative. He came, redeemed them. He brought them out, set them free. Uh, and, and that is incredible, okay? But although it is, it gets its name from the exodus, the book is not just about God bringing them out of Egypt. It's about why he brought them out of Egypt. Okay, he brought them out of Egypt to make them his people. And so the book is, is so rich with gold about what it means to be redeemed from our slavery to sin, to be set free from sin, but not just to be saved, to be sanctified, not just to be redeemed from sin, but to be God's people. What does that mean? So, so it's all over the book. And so there's some great stuff in there, all right? And so last week, we looked at chapters 37 through 39, very technical passage, actually. And our bottom line was uh, uh, live the word, love the word, because Israel didn't just live the word, they loved the word. 37 through 39 is a description of Basically, it is a verbatim repeat of 25 through 27. In 25 through 27, God gave Israel the technical details about what to do with the tabernacle, uh, all the furnishings, everything about the tabernacle, how to build the tabernacle and all that, 25, 26, 27. 37, 38, 39 is almost a verbatim repeat with one exception. They were doing what God told them to do in 25 through 27. I think God gives detail in both because he's giving them his word, revealing, and then he lets us know they did exactly what he said. They loved the word, they lived the word. Challenge for us to not just love the word, read the word, know the word, to live it, 
to do it, right? And so today we're going to look at chapter 40, the last chapter. Not every verse, the first 33 verses of chapter 40 are very technical again. What they do basically is tell how Moses then put everything in place. I mean, the tabernacle in 25 through 27, he told them how to do it, 37 through 39, they did it. Now Moses is setting it up, putting it all in place, just as God uh, told him to do in, 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 in the first 33 verses of chapter 40. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 34 through 38, the last five verses, focus there of chapter 40. And our bottom line, our takeaway uh, is simply this. Uh, we want you to understand that you were made for more. You're made for more. Hopefully, when, uh, the, an overview of Exodus, you'll understand that's really what Exodus is about. You're made for more. Let's unpack that so you'll know what it is. We're going to start by looking at verse 34. We're going to look at the last five verses, but let's look at them almost, let's look at the first two one at a time. Then we'll do the last three. Verse 34 says this, then, when is then? After Moses had set up the tabernacle, just as God said, as, as they designed it, just as God told them, Moses set it up, just as God said, then, immediately, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Immediately, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Everything in Exodus, folks, has been working up to this point. This is the climax of the book. As I said, man, we go back and we think the Exodus of Israel out of Egypt, big, right? But that's not necessarily what the book is all about. That's a part of the story. If that was what it was about, as soon as he brought them out, uh, after the Passover, they get across the Red Sea. Man, they're free. That's it. Then, man, we're on to Leviticus. But that's not all it's about. That's a part of the story. But Exodus is about uh, something more. It is about God not just bringing them out, but why he brought them out. And he brought them out. He saved them. He drew them out to draw them in right? He, he, he redeemed them from slavery, not just to give them freedom, but to give them himself, okay? And that's what we got to get. Listen, he didn't bring them out just to give them him, uh, freedom. He, he did. We have freedom, but not just to give them freedom, to give them himself. Folks, you got to get that because that's why you were created. That's what life is all about. You were created for God to give you himself, that's why you were created. You can leave here today and you can not spend another moment of time or another moment of energy wondering what life's about. You know, those age-old philosophical questions. Who am I? How did I get here? What, what, what went wrong? What's life all about? We, we spend our life without thinking necessarily through those questions. We spend our life trying to figure out those questions sometimes. And those questions nag in our soul. You don't have to worry ever again because you heard it today why you exist, right? Why you exist. You exist to, 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 to know God, for God to give you himself. There are many theories, there are many theories and many opinions about why we exist and how we got here, right? Some people believe uh, maybe you have been in this category. Maybe you're still trying to wade in this category. But many people believe that there's really no intelligent design. There's not a creator. We just sort of evolved from random mutations and primordial slime. And man, this is a very convenient theory because if it's, it's convenient because if that is true, then we have no one to answer to. There is nothing more. There is nothing higher. I mean, this is it. I mean, man, do what you want, with whom you want, however you want, whenever you want. Go for all the gusto because this life is it. This is all there is, right? 
And so that's what many people believe. All right, now, uh, now most of you believe that, you know what, we're not just accidents, we're not just random mutation, we actually are here because of an intelligent design, because of a creator, okay? Even many people that don't know God still believe, man, there's something, there's an intelligent designer, there is a creator, right? And, and so why then did God create us? Why? That becomes the question. Why did God create us? Well, some people believe that God created us because, you know, uh, he needed us or because he was lonely. To be quite honest with you, that's a very arrogant thought. I mean, to think that God created me because, man, he, he needed me. Uh, I mean, God's lonely and, man, he, he needed communion with me. He needed a relationship with me. It's a very arrogant thought and it's not an accurate thought. Let me, let me read to you that, uh, uh, what, what Acts says, Acts 17 uh, and this is Paul preaching at the, the, Areopagus, uh, the Areopagus in there in, uh, in, in Greece. Uh, and here's what he says. He says, the God who made the world, the God who made the world. Remember, he's talking to them about all these gods they worship in front of all these shrines and the Parthenon and, and all these shrines to these gods. And he says, the God who made the world, the real God, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. As he's surrounded by the backdrop of the Parthenon and all these temples where they thought the gods lived, God doesn't need that, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, okay? So Paul dispels this notion that God creates because he needs anything. He's God, he needs nothing, right? I mean, God gave you life, he gave you being, he put the air in your lungs, the blood in your veins, he gave you the skill, the talent. God gave you everything you have, everything you are. It's from God, for God, to God. He needs you for nothing, he needs anyone for nothing, okay? He needs nothing. All right, he is God. Now, he didn't also didn't create us because he's lonely. If we go back to Genesis chapter one, uh, in chapter one, one, remember it says, in the beginning, God created. Let's us know where we came from, right? In the beginning, God created. But here, look at 126, when he's creation specifically of, of Adam and, and Eve, uh, he starts talking about, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, the thing that pops out there God made man in our, the plurality. Who's he talking to? Why is God saying, let us make man in our image? Who's he talking to? Some people say, well, he's talking to the angels. Surely he's talking to the angels. Well, that's not true. The angels weren't active in creation, right? They were, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to uh, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is not a sermon about the Trinity. This is one of those questions that I talked about earlier that it probably will raise that I'm not going to answer fully. Don't know if I can ever answer it fully, but God has eternally existed. Uh, one God, we don't worship three gods. We're not polytheists, we're monotheists. We worship one God. God is, is one, but he exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? And he has always existed eternally. And so he's not lonely, he's had perfect community within the Trinity for eternity. He didn't create you is the point because he was lonely. He didn't need you for anything, right? He didn't need me for anything. He created us, but not because he needed us or because he was lonely. So here's the answer to the question. How are we here? Why are we here? God created. That's why. Why did God create us then? If it wasn't because he was lonely, if it wasn't because he needed us, why? Well, uh, I, I think, man, that's the, the, the question that begins that I think to help you to understand you were created for more. You were made for more. The Westminster Shorter Catechism really sums it up succinctly 
I mean, clearly as best as I think it's ever been summed up by man. And the Westminster Court Shorter Catechism basically says you were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, you were created to know God, to worship God, to enjoy God forever. You don't have to spend another moment. You don't have to spend another moment of energy, another moment of time trying to figure out, hmm, why do I exist? Why am I here? Well, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that any longer. You don't have to try to figure that out. I'm telling you today that the Bible from a Christian perspective, obviously I come from a biblical Christ-centered biblical worldview that tells me you were created by God for God to glorify God and enjoy God forever, to worship him, know him, and enjoy him. And if you get that, if you understand that, then you understand, okay, if that's why I'm created, if I live according to my creative purpose, at that point, life, that's when life's going to just be in the sweet spot, right? Not perfect, not carefree, not trouble-free, but that's when life's going to be in sync. That's when it's going to be fulfilling. That's when it's going to, I'm going to, whoa, I'm going to soar. But when I don't live according to my created purpose, when I live outside of my created purpose, life's going to be jacked up. Life's going to be sideways. It's going to be filled with chaos. It's going to be out of sync. And we all know this. We all know the world is not what God created, don't we? I mean, we all know that. I mean, man, we wake up every day and we see terrorist attacks almost daily in our world. I mean, and today, man, people's on nerve because we don't have to wait till the 6 p.m. newscast to find out what went on in the world today. Man, we get a notification on our phone immediately. A bomb goes off somewhere. I know about it immediately. Before the first responders get there, I know about it, right? And you know about it. So we have terrorist attacks and we're like, what in the world? I mean, man, we have tensions with North Korea that are rising and we all know something is going to happen there sooner uh, rather than later. We, we know it's going to happen. I mean, when you have maniacal dictators all over the world, stuff happens and, and we know it's happening. Man, we all feel the tinge in the air, you know? It's getting colder because the Cold War's blowing back in. I mean, we know that. It's, it's all over us, right? I mean, man, we know that, that, that marriage has very little value in our world anymore. Families are in crisis and we look at the state of our world, at the state of our own soul sometimes, and we say, this is not how God created it to be. We know that. We, we, we know that this is not how God created to be and we wanna know why. Why? Because rather than knowing and worshiping and enjoying God forever, we made life about us rather than making it about God. Adam and Eve took the fruit in the garden and when they took the fruit in the garden, it broke. They broke it, right? I mean, they rebelled because rather than knowing God, rather than making life about God and enjoying God, they made it about them and enjoying themselves. And when they took the fruit and rebelled against their created purpose, the world was broken. And every person, including you and me, that's born into the world was born broken. And you say, well, it's Adam and Eve's fault. Well, listen, you can't blame it on Adam and Eve because yes, you were born broken, bro born broken in sin, but you've also willingly chose to sin. Every one of you have willingly chose to go your way, to do your thing, to make life about you rather than God. Rather than know, uh, rather than worship, and rather than enjoy God, we've chosen to worship and enjoy sex our way, not God's way. We've chosen to worship and enjoy our kids, our husband or our wife, our marriage or our job or our home or some possession or, or, or some goal in life, uh, you know, our goals, ourselves rather 
than worship and enjoy God. And the world has broken by that, and, and life is broken. I mean, just think about the desires of your heart for a moment. Now, I'm not talking about, man, what you're wanting for lunch. I'm not talking about that great piece of steak that you'd love to have or, 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 or whatever. I'm talking about the deepest desires of your heart. Now, think about them for a moment. Why is it, why is it that we long for beauty? And you think about it. Some of you go, I'm macho, man. I, listen, why is it that you long for beauty? I grew up in East Tennessee. Man, I grew up in the, in the Smoky Mountains, and it never gets old when I look at the mountains. I mean, man, I, I look at the mountains, and when I'm there, and man, then the fog is down in the valleys on the mountains, and it, the mist is over the mountains, and I'm looking. I just can't get enough of it. I, I, I never look at it and go, man, I, I grew up with that. I, I, I'm tired of that. I, I don't do that. I long for it. I love it. Why do I go to the beach when I go to the beach? And I take my kids there in the fall generally. And Amy and I, we go to the beach and I'm always on the beach. And man, I love being on the beach. The evening's my favorite time. Man, I'm fair skinned, you know. I mean, uh, you know, the sun, yeah, I love the evenings. Why, when I'm on the beach and man, the sun is setting and it's over the ocean and I take pictures. And every time I start taking pictures, I thought, Bro, you do this every year. You've got, all, you've got hundreds of pictures of sunsets on the beach. Why are you taking more? Right? I mean, why, why do I need another picture of a sunset on the beach? Because, man, I love it. I can't get enough of it. Why, when I went to the Grand Canyon the first time and I, I stepped up to the Grand Canyon, I was stepping up over the canyon as the sun was coming up and I looked over and I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. If you've not, wow, it ought to be one of your bucket list things because it is like, wow. Okay, I stepped up, the sun's coming up, I looked at the canyon, and I'm sure I looked like a buffoon. I was standing there just like, oh. are you kidding me? The, literally, the only words that I thought in my mind was, oh God, you're awesome. Why is it that I long for that? Why is it that you, why do we long for beauty? Why do songs, why does music move us and art and beauty? Why is it that we long for beauty? Do you think that Random mutation caused that, that some chemical reaction in our brain caused us to long for that beauty. Do you really think that? I mean, if so, then your brain probably needs a little more mutation, okay? Could it be that we long for that beauty because we were created by the most beautiful being in the universe and created to be in his presence eternally, always, and we lost it in the garden? Could it be? I mean, why is it that uh, you know, we want famous people's autographs. Why do we go goo-goo for famous people? Have you noticed that? I mean, man, we, we, we want famous people. We see famous people like, oh, can I have your autograph? I mean, that always amazes me. I mean, I know a few famous people. I, I don't have any autographs. I don't want anybody's signature on a piece of paper. It's meaningless to me. But why is it that we want that? We want to take Instagram photos, you know, and post it to Instagram to let people know, I'm connected with this guy. He's famous and I'm connected. Why is it that 12-year-old girls and Travis cried at a Justin Bieber concert? Why? I mean, why? You know what? Could it be because, man, we were made by the famous one and to be in relationship connected to the famous one and we lost it in the garden? I mean, why is it that we want to be known? Why is it that we want thousands of followers on Instagram and we want thousands of, of likes on every post? And I mean, why, why, is it, why is it that we want to be known and we want people to know us, we want to be connected? Is it because, man, we were created? Could it be that we were created to be known by God, to know God and be connected to God and we lost it in, in the garden? Why do we want to be loved? 
Could it be that we were created by the one who is love? Why do we have this nagging feeling within our soul that something, that there's, that there's got to be something more? Because there is more. You were made for more. You were made for more and it was broken and we lost it in the garden. We were created to know and enjoy and worship God forever. But we lost it in the garden and we've been longing for it ever since. But you see, there's, there's hope. Right? Exodus screams, there's hope. Exodus, Exodus is this story about how God took initiative. God didn't just leave the Israelites in the mess that they made and the mess that they were in. He took initiative. He came and redeemed. He came and he shared grace and mercy and he redeemed. He took initiative to fix what is broken. Think about verse 34. Here's what it says. As soon as... The tabernacle was completed just as God said. As soon as, bam, God moved in. I mean, it wasn't like it was complete. And I mean, you know, I mean, God, you know, he went through the walkthrough, the inspection. I mean, man, and he took his time moving in. Man, as soon as it was there, there's an urgency to that verse that we, we really don't see unless we catch it. There's an urgency and an eagerness that said God was eager to fulfill his covenant promise to dwell with his people again. He was eager to do it. He wanted to move in and dwell with his people. You see, God doesn't avoid you. He doesn't ignore you. He wants to move in and fix what's broken in your life. He wants to fix what's broken so you can know him, enjoy him, and worship him forever because you were made for more. You were made for more and you'll never experience life like you want to experience life if you don't get that. Your life will be jacked up and chaotic if you don't get that. Look at verse 35. Verse 35, moving on, it says, and Moses, God moved in, and it says, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It says that again, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, get this. What we see in verse 34 is God's eagerness to move in and dwell with his people to fulfill his covenant promise right? He's eager. And so, man, as soon as the tabernacle is complete, just as God told them to complete it, as soon as it's complete, God invades the tabernacle, dwells the smoke by day, the fire by night. He, he, his presence dwells in the tabernacle. Now, you know Moses was jacked up. He's like a high school football player whose coach, man, has got him pumped up before that first game of the season. He's ready to run through a wall. Moses is wide-eyed, man. He's like a kid at Christmas coming down the stairs. I want to run into the tabernacle. And God says, no can do, Moses. Whoa, 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 don't go in. And you got to stop there and go, hold on a minute. Why? It's built to this point. God's now dwelling with his people. His presence is there, and he won't let anyone in. Why? If God's eager to dwell among his people, why won't he let, people, why won't he let Moses in? Listen, because God is holy, which means he's a consuming fire that will consume and destroy anything in his presence that is not holy. That, that's what we're seeing here. And so, so sin, we're seeing created this barrier between God and us. That's in the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. That's what the, the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the, and, and the rest of the tabernacle signified. There was this curtain, God said, put up between the Holy of Holies. This Holy of Holies, this room where the Ark of the Covenant, right? Where the Ark of the Covenant was with the Ten Commandments in it and, and, and all. It was, it was the Holy of Holies that were God's presence, the symbolic place of God's presence. And, and there was this, this, this veil that separated 
That veil represented sin that separated man from God. Think about it, folks. If Moses can't get in, I mean, Moses is this, he's in the hall of faith, isn't he? I mean, Moses is a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, I was watching the Hall of Fame inductions into the NFL last night, and man, I was listening to the speeches, and some of them, like LaDainian Tomlinson's, was like, really incredible. Some of them were like, like Jerry Jones's was like, dude, you're an idiot. But anyway, uh, it, it was like crazy bad, Jerry Jones's. LaDainian Tomlinson was crazy good, but I'm digressing now. So what we see here is Moses in the Hall of Fame. Those are the people that we like, wow. Moses, you're, you're, you're up on this pedestal and you're like, incredible. If Moses can't get in, you and I are not getting in. If Moses can't get in, surely you and I are not getting in, right? But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. You see, thankfully, it's not just creation and fall. The Bible's not just a story of God creating a perfect world, creation and fall. The, 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 the story, uh, the meta-narrative of the Bible that we're talking about today is creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, it's not just, well, you sinned, you can't be in the presence of God, it's over. Thankfully, God took initiative. Thankfully, that's what the, the Passover lamb is all about. It pointed to, thankfully, there's Leviticus. You see, the next two verses after the final verse of Exodus, here's what the next two verses say in Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It said, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Now, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? You see, the tabernacle and the sacrificial system was designed, and this is talking about the sacrificial system. Remember, God set up this sacrificial system because he told Adam and Eve, when you eat of the fruit, you will die, right? So the price for sin was death. In Leviticus, he says life is in the blood. And so he set up a sacrificial system where a life was taken a life was taken as a sacrifice in order that the people may approach God and not be consumed. That's what the tabernacle, the sacrificial was set, system was set up so that a sinful people could approach and commune with a holy God without being consumed and destroyed, right? But not because of the blood of those lambs and goats and animals. It was because of the blood of Jesus. You see that Passover back in Exodus, God instituted when they, when they were leaving, he instituted the Passover so that they would remember that God brought them out, but so that they would look forward to the Messiah. And that was a foreshadow, a pointing to Jesus's sacrifice. The sacrificial system, man, it didn't cover the sins of the people. It was a, an act of faith in which you looked forward to the Messiah. It's about Jesus who was sacrificed. Jesus, who was murdered, whose blood shed, covered our sins. It was all a foreshadowing of Jesus. Now let's look at 36 through 38. Because what we've seen in 34 and 35 is that God dwelled among his people, but that Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle because the, the, his sin had not yet been atoned for. So we're seeing God's desire to dwell among his people and fix his people, uh, what was broken in his people. Now let's look at 36 through 38. It says, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the, over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. 
For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So what you see is, you see God dwelling among his people. You see that God dwelled among his people in 34 and 35. Moses couldn't go into the tabernacle uh, because uh, sin has not been atoned for, but God dwelled among his people. What you see in 36 through 38 is God guiding his people. God guiding his people. As long as this, this smoke, which signified God's presence, his glory filling the temple, the smoke at night, I'm, I'm sorry, the smoke in day, the fire at night, as long as it was on the temple, the people stayed put, uh, the tabernacle, the people stayed put. When the smoke picked up and moved, the people packed up and moved. What are we seeing here? First, we're seeing God guiding. Second, we're seeing the people following. Here's, here's what I want you to know. Think about this. Don't miss this. Uh, the, Israel had been enslaved for 400 years plus. Man, if we could think about it, if we really think they've been enslaved for 400 years plus, probably 16 hours a day, they're making brick with mud and straw seven days a week, 16 hours a day probably. I mean, they are working their finger to the bone. They're dying early. They're, they're, they don't have enough food. They don't have enough water. They're, they're absolutely worked to death as slaves. And now they're free. Don't you think, man, man, it'd be great. Let's just go to the beach for a month or so and just hang out under an umbrella, right? Let's just, folks, here, here's what this signifies. God didn't bring them out so that they could just find a comfortable place in the wilderness and settle in and just be comfortable. God didn't just bring them out to go in the wilderness to be comfortable. He was taking them to the promised land and he was going to lead them there. So what does that say to us, I think, about our walk with the Lord? If you're a Christian, God didn't just redeem you out of your bondage to slavery so that you could live a comfortable life. So that you could just, well, I'm not going to hell, and man, I don't have that hanging over my head, so I can enjoy life with a, with a, a lot less stress. Yes, it's a reality that brings great joy to my soul. I'm not going to hell. Man, I, I know that. I, I mean, as a believer, based on the Word of God, I'm not going to hell. Uh, you know, Jesus won, and I know that. So, I, but that's not why God saved me, just so I could say, oh, I'm not going to hell. Man, I can, be, I can just do what I want to do, be comfortable, and know that I'm not going to hell. That's not why God saved you, if you're a believer. God didn't save you to be comfortable. He saved you to make you godly. And, and, and here is what your goal should be. Your goal in life should be not your comfort, but God's glory. Not your comfort. And I'm going to say something that's going to be debatable. Again, this is one of those things that, that, that in your small group I'd love for you to talk about because I think you really have to decide what you want in life. Do you want a comfortable life or do you want an effective, meaningful uh, life? an effective, meaningful, fulfilled life because I don't think you can have both. And you say, hold on a minute, what are you saying? I, now, uh, let me explain what I mean. Let me differentiate what I mean. I'm not talking about creature comforts. Man, I love my, I love getting up. You know what I did when I got up this morning? I got in a, run, a shower because I had running water in my house. That's a creature comfort. I love that. I slept on a Tempur-Pedic mattress. I love that, right? I mean, I have AC in my house. I love that. I have a recliner and a TV to watch football on. Man, I, those are creature. I'm not talking about creature comforts, okay? We, we, all of you in here have creature comforts. Some of you more than others and, uh, uh, you know, some of us more. But I'm not talking about creature comforts. I'm talking about the comfort of your soul. I really don't think that you can just plan on having, living a comfortable, I don't think you could, you got to decide, do I want a comfortable 
or, or do I want an effective? Because I don't think you can have both because listen, God's always moving you. He's always uprooting uh, in, in your soul. I mean, not just like to move. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, uh, he's uprooting things in your life. He's uprooting grudges. He's uprooting uh, your, the way you viewed the world. He uproots that. He destroys that. He takes things that was once important to you and he makes them less important to you because other things begin to be important and you're fighting with that. There's always a fight and a battle to be sanctified and to grow and to go where God wants you to go. That's, my, that's what I'm talking about. And so God didn't save you just to be comfortable. If you seek comfort more than you seek God's glory, then I think your life will always be in chaos. He didn't save you just so you'd be comfortable. Here's what he did. He saved you so that you would know him, so that you would worship him, and so that you would enjoy him forever. He didn't save you just so that you could have a good life. He saved you so you could have a godly life, an abundant life. And that requires following after him rather than seeking our own comfort. Now listen, here, here, here's another thing we see is God guided them by the smoke and by the fire. And he did that for a long time. I think it's actually through Ezekiel 10 that the smoke and the fire's there. We see God guiding his people and we see the people following. God guided. And if we're all honest, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about after they crossed the Red Sea. If we're all real honest, we would all say, oh dude, I would love for God to guide by the smoke and the fire. But wouldn't that be so easy, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're like, man, I want to share my faith, but I don't know who's going to get saved. Oh, there's the smoke. It's over that dude. I'm going to go talk to that dude, right? Oh, wait a minute. Who am I going to marry? Oh, that girl over there. There's the fire. I'm going to ask that girl right there, right? I'm going to ask her out because I know she's going to say, yeah, because God's, a, I mean, we, we, we really would love the smoke and the fire to be there and we want to be following the smoke and the fire. But as, as we said then, man, we, we don't settle for the smoke and the fire. What we have today is so much better. It's so much more. Now, it, it, Jesus, over and over, he tried to let his disciples in on what was happening. Over and over, Jesus tried to tell them, guys, I'm, I'm headed to Jerusalem to die right? I, I'm trying to let you know what's happening. And his disciples said, oh no, Jesus, you're never going to die. I, we know you're not going to die. We've read, the, oh, we've read the prophets. The prophets say that the Messiah, he's going to conquer Rome, right? And Jesus let them know, boys, you, you've got it mixed up. I'm not settling for Rome. I'm going to conquer the universe. That's why I'm going to die. They're going to murder me and they're going to kill me, right? And his disciples were freaking out. And in John 14, we're going we're gonna to go into John next. And in John 14, uh, Jesus, uh, he tells them, they're freaking out because he's telling all this. And in John 14, Jesus said, guys, look, I, I, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send, I'm going to ask the Father to send you a helper. The world cannot receive him. Those who don't know me can't receive him, in other words, but you can. And because of him, you will do greater things than you've seen me do. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to invade you. That's why he told them in Acts uh, 1.8, you know, don't, don't you wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit who will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So listen, uh, he said the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the, the earth and the waters and creation, the same Holy Spirit that operated within inside of Jesus, the ha same Holy Spirit that, oper that, that raised Jesus from the dead lives within inside of you amazing. 
We, we don't, why do we want smoke and fire when we've got God living with inside of us? Not, not, I mean, we, we literally have the God of the universe living with inside of us. You see, what happened was in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, uh, Paul tells us that our bodies were the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's what happened. In Moses, in Exodus, it's, it's pointing to something bigger. This meta-narrative of, of the story of God is, is creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? And what we see in Exodus is Exodus is pointing to all this because in that time, God's spirit didn't dwell with inside of, of Moses because his sin had not yet been atoned for by Jesus. And so that's why the tabernacle was there. That's why the sacrifices were there, right? And so they had this tabernacle and this sacrificial system. And imagine the burden of that. I mean, when they had to pick up and move because the cloud moved, man, they had to pack up this entire tabernacle and take it with them. I mean, man, they had to sacrifice all these animals. And imagine all the blood that they slit the throat, slaughtered the animals. They had to sacrifice all this. They had the, the priestly system, right? Aaron's descendants and Aaron had come out of his line, the priest and uh, the Levites. And, 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 and they, they represented the people before God, God before the people. They mediated. They had to go to God through the priest because you had the, the high priest and the holy of holies and, and all that for all those years. Why? Because sin had not yet been atoned for. But when Jesus... It all pointed to Jesus. And when Jesus died and he come back from the grave, signifying that God was pleased, that God was satisfied, that he died in my place, his blood, his blood shed, he, his cross was my cross. He died as my substitute. And God gave Jesus, when, the moment I surrendered to him, God gave me his righteousness and Jesus my sin. Now my sins atoned for. So now the curtain was torn from top to bottom. In the, in, when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says the curtain that God had set up was torn from top to bottom saying, now we have free access to God. Now Jesus, now God doesn't dwell within a tabernacle, within a temple, as Paul told the Corinthians, uh, the, as Paul said in Greece in Acts 17, he doesn't dwell in buildings made by, by, by man. He dwells within his people. He doesn't, we don't need a tabernacle. We don't sacrifice animals because Jesus was sacrificed. We don't need the priestly system because Jesus is our high priest. He mediated between God and man and man and God. Today, we, what we have is so much better and all this is pointing to it. And all this is saying this. This is what Exodus is all about. Here's what we see in Exodus now that we're covering it, we're, we're, we're ending it. And here's what you see. You see the fall, right? You see the creation of a people. You see the fall, you see the uh, going to slavery, you see redemption, and you begin to see the beginning of restoration and recreation. And that's what you, be, that's what you begin to see in Exodus. And, and, and what we need to understand is you were made for more. Exodus says you were made for more. It's not just about God bringing you out of slavery to sin. It is about God teaching you to be his people and dwelling you it's about indwelling you. You were made for more than whatever your petty little dreams can be. You were made for more than your, your, your sexual desires. You were made for more than your, your career ambitions. You were made for more than your relational goals. You were made for more. You were made for Jesus. Jesus is the more. And folks, there is nothing more than Jesus. That's what you were made for. And until you get that, until you get that, your life will always be out of sync and you will always have this nagging feeling that 
There's something more because there is. Your life will be jacked up and sideways and never hitting on all cylinders because you were made for more. That's what Exodus is about. And it's not just about coming out of sin. It's about God not just giving you freedom. It is about God giving you himself so that you can know him, worship him, and enjoy him forever. And so that's what I want you to take home. If you're not a Christian, you need to understand you were made for more. And Jesus is more, and there's nothing more than Jesus. If you are a Christian, what I want you to understand is we as Christians, man, we get wore down sometimes. And we are bombarded until we begin to take our attention. And we begin to believe, actually, that sometimes we fall to temptation and believe the lie that this will fulfill us a little bit better than Jesus. And it won't, it doesn't, it never will, because there's nothing more than Jesus. And so I want to call Christians and challenge Christians to recenter their focus and to understand you were made for more. And that more is Jesus. And there is never more than Jesus. Travis is going to come out and sing. And man, we're going to go into our um, response time. We're going to take up our tithes. and We're going to take up our offerings. And, 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 and that's a response. You're going to worship. You're going to, you're going to, some of you are going to repent. Some of you are going to realize, man, I've made, I've made life about this. I've wanted to enjoy and worship this thing, whatever this thing is, more than I've wanted to worship and enjoy Jesus. And that's why your life is jacked up and sideways. Today, I want to call you. Maybe you need to res- repent of that and say, I was made for more. And that more is Jesus, and there's nothing more than Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that you give us the privilege of being your people. God, we don't deserve that. God, we couldn't couldn't do that. Thank you that you took initiative. Thank you that Exodus reveals That, God, you are the one who took initiative. You are the one who took action to come and redeem a broken people that could not free themselves. You come and took initiative. You come and took action. You redeemed. But thank you that that's not the end of the story. You didn't just redeem them so that they could be free and do whatever they wanted. You redeemed them so they could be your people. God, thank you that you redeemed them to give them you. And God, thank you that in salvation, you don't redeem us just so that we can be free from sin and be, and be free of hell and not worry about it and, and be able to do whatever we want without fear of hell. But God, you redeemed us. God, not just to give us freedom, but to give us you so that we can know you, enjoy you, and worship you forever. Thank you, God, that you made us for more. And Jesus is more, and there's nothing more than Jesus. Help us to get that, get it in the cracks and the crevices of our soul, God. God, get it in the cracks and the crevices of our soul. As as Travis said today, you hid us in you, from you. God, help us to honor you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.